So we're wrapping up our series here called All the Difference, right? And, and like Shannon just finished mentioning, we are, have been looking at three unsuspecting characters that are all, you know, kind of involved in the Easter narrative, um, but we don't really pay too much attention or we don't really talk about them too much, or maybe there's even uh, very little information about these characters. So we've been bringing it to light. We've been talking about it. And... You know, I think we've all experienced this same thing, like this one moment in history, this one event, this one person that's made all the difference in our lives. For me, it was uh, in middle school, uh, middle school band, to be specific, something that happened to me. You see, uh, I remember being a freshman in middle school, sixth grade, and I was in the cafeteria and the band teacher, the coolest band teacher I've ever seen, had his hair in a ponytail, the sides faded, really sharp looking guy. And he said, okay, I'm going to pick from this sea of sixth graders who's going to be in band class. Raise your hand if you want to be a part of band class. And guys, the most faithful prayer I've ever prayed in my life was when I was in sixth grade. I wanted to be in band class. And I raised my hand. And I was like waving it. I was like praying to God that he would see me from this sea of smelly sixth graders. And I was like, a tear fell from my eye. And I was like, God, dear God, please let him choose me. And he looked at me, and then he just pointed at somebody else. And he went and he picked his whole class and did not pick me. And I said, you know what? I'm so upset. I did the, I did the one thing. I, like, I wanted to punish myself, you know? You ever felt like that, like so angry you want to punish yourself? I said, you know what? I'm going to stick it to myself. And I signed up for choir which is like the opposite of band, right? And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, man, I hate myself. I'm going to go to choir. Worst decision of my life, right? And so I went, and I was like, God, I'm suffering in choir, right? I'm like literally in tears. I'm like, no, why did I do, why am I doing this to myself? And that was uh, until I met a friend of mine, a new friend in, in my sixth grade world. His name was Rick. You see, Rick made all the difference in my life because Rick was one of the lucky ones chosen by Mr. Garcia, my band teacher. So I'm here pouring my heart out, crying like a baby to Rick. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in choir, man. I need to get out of here. He's like, dude, there's an instrument that's open. I said, what? Man, what is it? I don't care what it is. I want to do I really don't care what the instrument is. Get me out of choir, man. Tell Mr. Garcia that I want to be in band. And Rick made all the difference. He went up. And he spoke to Mr. Garcia. He said, man, my, my boy, Danny, just, he, he doesn't care what the instrument is. He just wants to be, okay, set, set him up for an, for an appointment. I met with him. Guys, Rick made all the difference in my life. Because I had a conversation with Mr. Garcia. Mr. Garcia, okay, listen, the only instrument that's left is the tuba. <laughs> Nobody wanted the tuba. Right? Yeah. Tuba. Listen, I said, I don't care, man. Get me out of choir. I, have, I love music. Rick made all the difference in my life. Listen, I picked up the tuba, and I got pretty darn good at it. For seven years, all through middle school and high school, Rick made all the difference in my life. I got really good. So good that I was able to audition for the National High School Win Ensemble. And that audition put me on stage at Carnegie Hall to play the tuba. Because one guy made all the difference. Man, ain't that something? One person. One person made all the difference, not to mention that music continues to be something that I very much enjoy 
now. So today, we're looking at a character that you certainly have heard of pertaining to the Eastern narrative, but maybe you never gave much thought to his story. Because what you need to realize, and I've said this all throughout the series, is that we're all on a spiritual journey. Perhaps you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're on the fence of your faith, or maybe you have questions, doubts, and fears. No matter what, we're all on the spiritual journey. And so we want to track the spiritual journey of this guy. Let's call him the culprit. He was the culprit. His name is Barabbas. Now maybe you don't know much about his story. But what we want to do today is put ourselves in his shoes. By the way, there's not much to be said of him in the scriptures. So we need to really embody and really like put on his shoes and think. What would he be thinking in his situation? And so we want to look at this story from his perspective. And also what I want us to do is to see that we have a lot of common with this culprit and ask what difference could one moment, one event, one person have, what a difference can make and one person have on this person right here in Barabbas. So I invited Hunter. He's going to help us out. Today, so if you have your message notes, number one is this, the culprit was guilty. Number one, the culprit was guilty. Yes, so Brabus is guilty. I uh, just have to say, I was in choir, and I don't know what the beef is with choir, but choir's cool. For sissies. <laughs> For sissies. <laughs> All right. We, we, we ally with each other. Uh, so the culprit was guilty. So I want to read, let's jump into the text. If you have your Bibles, Mark. 15, 6 through, uh, 6 through 7. I think it will be on the screen. Uh, Mark 15, 6 through 7. So let's read. Uh, it says, At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Um, okay, so there it is. That's the first part of how we know that he was guilty. He was in prison with rebels. So to understand the gravity of, of Barabbas, this character's story, we, know, we need to know a little bit about his background, his context. So um, basically, according to this text, every year at Passover, um, it is a Jewish holiday. Um, and so as you know, we have some correlation as Christians uh, with the Jewish um, people. And so it was customary for Pontius Pilate, who was the ruler uh, over the Roman government, to pardon one prisoner, um, whoever the Jewish leaders requested. So there was this kind of like a deal that they had with the religious people and the government that, okay, this is your deal at your Passover. We'll give you one prisoner, whoever you ask for. And so at this point in the story, right in the middle, we're right in the middle of this long road that Jesus was walking to the cross. So at this point, he's been arrested. He's, you know, all, all of the things he's brought before Herod. Now he's in, now he's in front of Pilate. Um, and so we're, we're dropped right in the middle of this right now. Um, uh, and now we have, we have an angry crowd. Um, we have the religious leaders who want Jesus dead for claiming that he was the son of God. We have Pontius Pilate, uh, and then we have Jesus. So we have these four characters at a very public trial. Um, at this point, um, Pilate can't really wrap his head around why they want Jesus dead, and even if he has enough evidence to really, like, you know, ordain that he be killed. And so Pilate's having this issue. He's struggling. And so to try to reason with these, this angry mob, these people, Pilate brings out Barabbas, okay? And so um, in other versions, uh, they say he was notorious, so these people would have known who Barabbas was. Um, we look at the verse again, and it says he was a prisoner who, and it says, committed murder during the rebellion. So he committed murder during the rebellion. What rebellion is he talking about? Um, in the Roman government, there were many, uh, there, was a, there was actually a faction, probably a couple, that were, tr that were there to try to overthrow the government. They didn't like the tyranny of the Roman government. 
And so another translation says uh, he, was a, he was a murderer during the insurrection. Um, Matthew, Matthew's gospel describes Bar, uh, Barabbas as notorious. What does notorious mean? Known for something, mostly bad. I mean, it has a negative connotation, but you can be notorious for something. We use it, oh, she's notorious for being late. You know, he was well known. They knew who this guy was. Um, so we don't know a ton about what happened to Barabbas before um, this scene and what happens, has happened to him after. But what we do know is that he was a very violent man in a group of insurrectionists who sought to overthrow the Roman government. Does this any, ring any bells for anybody? Does this sound familiar, insurrection? Uh, just a few months ago, there was arguably an attempt to overthrow, at best, the part of the U.S. government, and at worst, the whole thing. So, you know, and I'm not taking sides here. I think we all agree what we saw unfold in the January 6th uh, attack on the Capitol wasn't uh, heartening to us. That wasn't a good thing that we like to see happening to our country. So now you can imagine that was, you know, some say that was an insurrection. They, they, they mobbed the, they stormed in to try to, you know, take over, um, possibly kill the vice president. I mean, so th this was a pretty weighty thing that Barabbas was accused of. Now imagine that at the insurrection in January, uh, it went much further. And they're like killing congressmen and women on stages and the vice president's been killed. Like, that's great. Like, that's the type of violence and anarchy that Barabbas was guilty of. That's what he... That was he known for. You know, oh, he killed the vice president. Like, they know who Barabbas is. Um, so we have this stark contrast presented before us. We have Barabbas, a guilty murderer, insurrectionist, who's rightfully and justly in prison for his crimes. He's, he's in prison. And by all measures of the day, he's probably deserving of death. Uh, and on the other hand, we have Jesus, right? Uh, the innocent one, the fully perfect and loving God-man who has done absolutely nothing to deserve death. And Pilate knows this. This is kind of the tension in the story, is that Pilate's like, why are you guys wanting to kill this guy? So in an attempt to kind of wiggle out of this dilemma that the angry people, the mob, the religious leaders have put Pilate in, he's like, okay, I know how to, I know how to get you know, rid of this Jesus issue that they keep wanting to kill him. And so he pulls out Barabbas. He's like, there's no way. There's no way they're going to let Barabbas go. I mean, they know what he's done. And so... Pilate sort of says, look, I know you want to crucify Jesus, but, you, you know, surely you wouldn't want to see Barabbas allowed to go free, right? I mean, uh, so he gives us this dilemma, and what do they do? Um, they, they ultimately will see that they choose the evil, unrighteous man to go free, despite his horrible past. Um, and does this sound familiar also? I mean, where else in the biblical narrative have we heard about guilty people uh, who are being let free and liberated? <laughs> um, so we, when we read the story of Barabbas, we naturally like to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, don't we? I mean, think about any hero story. You're not like, when you're watching Marvel, you're not like, you're like, I wonder what it's like to be Hydra. Like, you're not like, you're not empathizing with that side. You're like rooting for the hero. You're like, I'm the hero. You know, we try to put ourselves. So when we read the story, we're like, wow, like they're just leading Jesus along. And like, this is a guilty man. Like, how could they do this to Jesus? We're like putting ourselves in Jesus' shoes. Um, you know, how could the crowd be so cruel and blind, you know, that they would do this? Um, and the world also, we, we portray this Barabbas as this, like, horrible figure. Like, um, has anyone seen Passion of the Christ, the, the movie? You know, it's very popular. Uh, I remember my parents uh, showed me this movie when I was, like, six years old. Six. And, I mean, for those who haven't seen this movie, uh, it's, it's a raw depiction of, like, the long, just drawn-out death of Jesus um, and that's a lot for a six-year-old to take in. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're going to show your six-year-olds that show, but after we watched, my parents were like, now do you understand what he did for you? And I'm like, I, I'm about to throw up. This is, I mean, I'm six years old. This is scary. 
Um, but anyway, in that, in that movie, it was scary. Uh, this is who they chose to portray uh, Barabbas. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, that's Barabbas in the, in the, in the movie. Um, he's like rugged. He's got, he's got these weird eyes, scars all over his face, wild hair. Um, you can, yeah, that's it, Junior. And so how scary and crazy looking is he, right? I mean, in the movie, he's acting really scary. He's like screaming and spitting at the crowd. Um, and if you saw like someone like this walking down Knickerbocker at night, forget about it. You're out of there. I mean, opposite way. We're going the opposite way. Not, we're not even going to encounter this guy. And so my point is, is that we hold up Barabbas as this horrible, despicable person, like the way he looks, the way he acts. Um, but here's the key, and this is like probably the main thing I want to say in this point, is that we're Barabbas. That's us. We're Barabbas in the story. We're not Jesus. Um, we were dead in sin. We were unrighteous. We deserve the death penalty like Barabbas. We were guilty, and we are the culprit. And, and you're like, wow, that sounds a little heavy-handed, Hunter. I, I'm pretty good. I mean, I like, you know, I gave to charity last month. And well, I want to share with a verse for you if you're thinking that. Uh, Junior, it's on the screen. Uh, it's Romans 3:23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not my words. Um, so there's that's how we know. How do we know we're guilty? Because the one who's not guilty, who's created the law and who's perfect, has said this about us. Um, so what's, what's beautiful about Barabbas' story, um, you know, it's not, you know, on the surface, it doesn't seem like it's a, a very pretty, beautiful story. But what's beautiful about it is <clears throat> that we see a very clear picture of the gospel, the good news. We see um, innocent Jesus take the place of the sinner who was utterly deserving of, of guilt. And then we see this great exchange take place in Barabbas' story. And this is the story of the gospel. Jesus came as a holy, perfect lamb to be slain and taken for the unrighteous sinner. So the next thing we learn from this story is number two in your notes. You can write this down. Um, number two, the crowd is not always right. Um, so, so far, like I said, we have these four main characters, Pontius Pilate, the angry crowd, Barabbas, and Jesus. And so we've already looked at Barabbas, and we've looked at Pontius Pilate, and that struggle, that dilemma, who is Barabbas? And so now I want us to like, turn our attention to this angry crowd, um, so let's read. Um, in verse 20 of that same uh, chapter, it, it goes on. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. Verse 21. Um, oh, I'm, I lost my spot. Just a second. Verse 21. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? So he's like, okay, here's the big exchange. And this is they, Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, well, what should I do with Jesus, who's called Christ? And then they all answered, crucify him. And then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. And so there we have it. They have chosen Barabbas over Jesus whenever they, they were given the chance. So a little context on the crowd is that Palm Sunday, remember two, the, uh, the Sunday before Easter, Hosanna, this is kind of Jesus coming in on a donkey, and like that's the story. Um, this is actually the crowd that's really angry and wanted to kill him. That's actually the same crowd that was welcoming him in. And Hosanna, uh, you know, shouting his name. Um, so Hosanna, it, it, it actually means savior or rescuer. I meant to put this on the screen, but I forgot. But Hosanna, the word Hosanna means savior or rescuer. Um, so now, just a few days later, these same people are shouting, not Hosanna, but they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. Um, they, so here's the deal. They wanted a savior, Hosanna, a savior, a rescuer. 
They wanted a savior from the Roman government, um, but they misunderstood who Jesus was and what he was here for. He was a savior not from the government, not from Rome. He was a savior from their own sins and God's just wrath. That's what he was coming to save them for, but they misunderstood. So the crowd chose a murderer over Jesus. And one, one commentary says they preferred a murderer over the prince of life. So, you know, in the Bible we have Jesus called the prince of life. So there's that really, like, that dichotomy of, of a murderer to the prince of life. And so I just, as I'm reading this text and kind of what, how does this apply to me uh, and us, I, I ask these questions. How many times have we chosen things over Jesus? How many times have we turned on Jesus the second he didn't give us what we wanted in the way we thought we should get it? Like the crowd, we too have turned our backs on the giver of true life. And what do we see Jesus do in response? This is really important. What does he do in response to the way that they treated him? He was meek, he was silent, he was humble. And then he went to the cross and died for them. That's what happens next. Spoiler alert, that's what happens next. There's so, there's so much we could get into, dig into that, um, but if we could grasp how much Jesus loves us, how much he loved his enemies, our lives would look a, a little bit different if we could imitate that. Um, so think about how easy it would have been to stay silent in a, in a crowd, in a scene like this, where everyone's shouting the same thing. Uh, isn't it a little bit difficult to speak up with a different opinion? You know, you're in a crowd and like, everyone's like, yeah, and you're like, wait, I don't know if I, I'm on board with this, but it's that tension of like, do I speak up? Because I know everyone else in the room uh, is saying the opposite thing. Um, but the problem is that the loudest voices in the room aren't always right, right? People, whoever has the majority of the, the microphone doesn't mean that they're always right. And we, we only need to look at history to show us this. Wars have been started because the majority of the crowd believed that what they were saying and doing was right. Slavery existed in America because the majority of the crowd thought they were right. This is just fact. I'm not, I mean, this is facts. They thought majority of people in these instances were the loudest voices, and they thought they were right. Um, financial crises have happened. Crises have happened because the majority of the crowd thought they were right, or then they were wrong. And so these things, these like sinful like things that happen in a fallen world, um, these are all things that happen in a crowd, and that um, it's pretty hard to speak up in in the middle of the moment. And so as Christ followers and believers, uh, we have to guard ourselves from gravely misjudging what is right and good, like this crowd did. We must ask ourselves, so today, what are the, what are the voices that are yelling the loudest? What, who has the microphone, right, today, in our culture today? Um, are these popular crowd-appeasing beliefs, are they, these popular things that we hear out on the street, um, whatever they are, fill in the blank, is that something that exchanges, like Barabbas, does it exchange Jesus for a temporary pleasure? Um, does being woke quote-unquote, with culture, come at the cost of being asleep to things of God. So just because it's, again, the loudest voice uh, in the room doesn't mean it's right. Um, this crowd had the king of kings. They had Jesus, uh, the son of God, right in front of them, and they missed him. They missed him. They, didn't, they, didn't, they missed who Jesus was completely. So we said that, one, the culprit was guilty, and that um, we are the, we're Barabbas in the story. We're not Jesus. Uh, number two, the crowd isn't always right. Um, clearly, you know, we have, we're looking back at the story now, we can see, oh wait, this crowd wasn't necessarily in the right. Um, but even though this crowd gravely misjudged Jesus for who he was, 
Jesus being, good, uh, being God and the gracious lamb who laid down his own life for them, that he had, Jesus had a different plan for them. And that's number three in your notes. Jesus sets the captive free. Jesus sets the captives free. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. It says, Then he released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. I want you guys to picture this for a moment. Picture Barabbas, right? He knows that he's guilty. He knows it. He has blood on his hands. He had killed people. He, had, he was in charge of this insurrection of trying to take over the Roman government. And I want you guys to picture, they probably bring him out from a dark cell. He's probably squinting. He hasn't seen the light of day in forever, maybe. I don't know. And they bring him out from this dark cell. And he goes up there. He's like, he knows what's going on. Today's the day that the governor lets, go, lets somebody go, gives him a pardon. As they bring him up, there's like, he's thinking to himself, there's no way they're going to let me free. I mean, not after the crimes that I've committed, not after the, the murder, not after the conspiracy against the Roman government. He's thinking to himself, there's no way. That's not going to happen. But then here's Pilate. And he asks the angry mob, who do you want free? And the mob begins to shout, Barabbas, Barabbas. Like if we were in a baseball game, shouting out the name of their favorite baseball player. They begin to shout his name. And he's like, am I hearing this right? Is this guy's name next to me? Is his name Barabbas as well? I mean, if I were him, I would be thinking, wait, am I in the twilight zone? Am I in a, in a dream? There's no way they're calling out my name. You know, perhaps... From the depths of the prison cell, Barabbas maybe heard rumors of this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, this guy who heals blind eyes. Maybe while he was in his imprisonment, serving his term, waiting for uh, this, the death penalty, waiting for his punishment, he probably heard of a man who had not even a hateful bone in his body. He probably heard of a guy who was full of mercy, love, and compassion. You see, Barabbas wanted to overthrow the Roman government but he heard of a guy named Jesus who didn't want to overthrow, but to bring near a greater government, the kingdom of God. Do you think at that moment, as Barabbas, who knows he's guilty, who knows that this cross, this, this upcoming crucifixion is for him, do you think that when he begins to hear the chance of his name, he might think to himself, you know, I deserve this punishment. But this guy is getting the rap from me? Do you think it crossed his mind to think, I'm guilty, but this Jesus guy is innocent. And he's not even putting up a fight. And do you think that as they began to shout the name, his name of Barabbas, and as they began to say of Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, do you think that maybe, just maybe, this could have done something deep within his soul. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I have to imagine if I were to put myself in his shoes and I knew that I was guilty, but they let an innocent man pay the price on his behalf, I would have had a couple thoughts. And then as he's having these thoughts, the Roman soldiers come up to him and they begin to untie his shackles. 
They loosen his chains. And then they just shove him into the crowd. And he's free. No more chains. No more shackles. No more imprisonment. He's gone. He's free. And a guilty man runs free because of one man. Because of one event. Because of one moment in history. And like Hunter just said, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus does for every single one of us. Because the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. That we are all bondage or we are all prisoner to sin. That we are all guilty. And what our sin deserves is eternal damnation and separation from God. But God, out of His infinite love for you and me, He sends Jesus who lives a perfect and sinless life, who is blameless before God, and then He dies in our place. He absorbs the wrath of God on our behalf. He dies. He's buried in the tomb. And then three days later, He is raised from the dead so that we can have forgiveness of sin and new life. And what happens to us? A guilty man, a guilty woman, walks free. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does. That's the good news. And that's why I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 36 says. I would love for you guys to read it out loud with me. It's on the screen and in your notes. Ready? Go. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. That's what Jesus does. We are here today because we are free. We celebrated Easter and we celebrate every Sunday and every day because we are free from our sin. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are cherished. We are children of God because of what Jesus did. And a guilty man went free. That guilty person is me and you. And we run free because of what Jesus did for you and me. Hunter, come up here. Hunter, why don't you uh, lead us in one more song and I'm going to invite you guys to... Uh, to Partake in communion and just consider. And guys, obviously the Bible doesn't go into much detail about this guy. You got to put yourself in his shoes and consider. Maybe he went back to doing his crazy things and killing more people. I don't know. But I have to imagine that if he had this encounter with Jesus and he knew of his guilt, but that an innocent man would die in his place, I'd have to think this would have to have given him some thoughts. But no matter what, we understand and we know that we are Barabbas, that we are guilty, but that Jesus sets us free. God, uh, Lord, we are guilty. We are Barabbas, Father. We have fallen short of your glory. Um, God, we are sinful. But we thank you, God, that you set the captives free. You have set us free, God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand apart from the rest of the world. Lord, that when the mob and when the crowd shout something that is opposing to your word and to your way, that we may reject it and choose to live according to your word. And God, we are grateful, Father. And I pray that in this moment, Right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would build gratitude within to our hearts to know, God, that we are free. And God, I feel compelled to pray, God, 
Some of us have not accepted this truth that we are free because of the work of Christ on the cross and we've allowed shame and guilt to run our lives. So God, I pray today that you might loosen the grip of shame and loosen the grip of guilt on our lives and that we may walk out in the freedom that Jesus gives us because it is finished. The work on the cross is done. We are forgiven and we are children of God. So help us to walk out in that freedom. Help us to live in joy and not sorrow. Help us to live out in that freedom that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the captives free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.